Church, I invite you to hear these words from Scripture, from the book of Acts, chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, where we hear a summary of the life of the ancient church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, good morning. What a great morning to wake up on a cool, uh, a cool morning with uh, rain yesterday and be able to come and be with God's people today. What a joy. And it's a great joy for me to be with you and worship today with you. Uh, today is a 15-year anniversary of 9-11, and uh, that's a sobering thing, and we should not forget that. One of the things that remembering 9-11, I think, does for us is remind us, as one essay I I read yesterday from a leading security advisor who said, simply put, even though we've got the greatest uh, nation on earth, we have a great military, we have all kinds of things going our way, even the greatest nation on earth is vulnerable. There is no way to always guarantee the things that we'd like to get guaranteed in our world that we live in an environment as human beings where there's really no real secure guarantees. And sometimes when we face that, it can be easy for us to forget alternative stories, stories that help keep us focused in those difficult times. It's why I was so grateful for the way Kevin reminded us this morning that here at Johnson Street, we have a story, a narrative that extends for uh, 120 plus years, 125 years or so. Uh, the story about being a community that is characterized by love and graciousness and mercy. Uh, But it's easy sometimes for us to forget that. And that's why we come together. And it's why this text that I read a few moments ago is so important for us. You know, when I look at these stories around the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, there are always two lines or narratives that go flowing through my head about them. One is about a new baby, the new birth, right? A new beginnings. And We all know that uh, babies, uh, for them to do well, need certain things. Uh, We need to make sure that the basics are covered. We got to make sure that they get plenty of sleep, right? They need to have a proper diet and are fed. They need clean diapers regularly. Um, If we get those few basic things, then all the fathers, new fathers, do quite well in those situations. Uh, or, uh, Or another image that comes to me as I think about the springing forth of the church and on the day of Pentecost and all of the craziness and the wonder and the mess and the amazement of all of that. It's sort of like being 
after a great game, a, a, a football weekend in a, a college town, and where there's great excitement, and, uh, but the game is over, and all that's left are, is popcorn everywhere, and old hot dog wrappers, and empty beer cups, and, and then the next day, what happens? Well, the coach calls the team together, and it's back to basics. It doesn't matter whether we won or lost, it's always going to be back to basics. It's, it's stepping back into the things that keep us focused on who we really are. And whether we're a parent and we're caring for a newborn, whether we're on an athletic team, I remember being high school, I was on high school basketball and baseball teams, and uh, you know, it didn't matter whether the night before was a good night or a bad night, it was up and down the gym steps. Every day, every day, back to basics. It was back to dribbling drills, passing drills, layups, etc., etc. Back to basics. And this text reminds us, church, of the basics that help us in our identity. Listen again. Let's, and there, we'll find in there a kind of a rhythm of maybe four movements that we need to pay attention to as the basics that help shape that are the workings out of our story and our life together. They continued steadfastly in apostles' teaching. This early church understood that they needed to hear a word from the Lord, that God had a message for them and they needed to pay attention to it, that paying attention to the word of God helped keep them on their journey, that kept them focused. I think it was Stephen Covey who said, and you can help me with this, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's what Scripture does. It's our story. And it's the where we center in. That's why Sunday school is so important. That's why having programs of reading the Bible are important. It's why Showing up for small group Bible study is so important because in listening to the stories of Scripture, we are reminded of what is truly valuable and significant and important to us. We cannot assume that just because we live in America or that we go to church most Sundays or you fill in the blank and the things that we sort of claim about for ourselves, that that means we know all there is to know or that we have remembered all that we have been taught. In fact, some studies recently uh, by a researcher at Notre Dame by the name of Christian Smith, this study is now approaching 10 years old, but I, I don't see any evidence that it's changed any, did a massive nationwide survey of high school students. Uh, and it was a quantitative study across the country, thousands and thousands of inputs. And then he did a major qualitative piece where he and his researchers interviewed over 22 or 2300 high school students. And I've got good news and I've got bad news. Uh, the good news is, surprisingly, perhaps to parents in the room, that high school students really do respect and appreciate their parents. They really, really do. They look at their parents as models for their life. That's good news. The bad news is uh, that these students, when it came to regards to their faith, cannot, could not articulate their faith. They didn't know why they believed what they believed. They didn't understand what it was about their faith, whether it was Christianity or Judaism or Islam or whatever their religious pra practice was. They, they could not articulate their faith. 
And the researchers concluded, and this is where I'm getting everybody in the headlights here, not just teenagers. The reason why they can't do that, parents, is because their parents can't articulate their faith either, was the conclusion that Smith and other researchers concluded. That is to say that just because we say we're Christian does not necessarily mean that we know our story and know it well in a way that forms and shapes us and reminds us of who we truly, really are. These early Christians made sure that they spent time in the apostles' teaching, or we might say today, in the Bible, to pay attention to the words and the teachings that shaped and gave life to the early church. And I'm suggesting that that is a move, a basic move, that we all need to attend to in our lives. A second thing that happens here is a move toward fellowship. That is to say that these folks really spent time living and sharing their lives with one another. And that kind of sharing, that kind of fellowship and connectedness took on a remarkable light in this community uh, to the point that uh, they, they shared their physical possessions, their material goods. All of that was on the docket for the well-being of the community. They understood that the value and the significance of the story they were living out was such that it meant that, uh, that when I see you, I actually see Jesus in you, and I'm going to attend to what I see in my brother and my sister. Now, sometimes we read these stories about this early church and we see this, this wonderful sense of giving and generosity that's going on and we begin to draw some conclusions and think about it in some ways that may be dangerous for us. Uh, we might, first of all, idealize it. We think, oh, that's so great and so wonderful that they did it, but it's so fantastic that we would never be able to do anything like that and so we dismiss it. Or, on the second hand, we, on another hand, we could say, well, let's do the exact same thing they did back then. Let's just sell everything and all join a hippie commune. And let's just live, you know, walking around barefoot and sharing our stuff together, right? We, we can literalize it and we can devalue it. Or a third danger sometimes can happen we look at this and say, well, what that means for us today is that somehow or another we all have to think the very same way about everything, uh, and that's what brings us together as a people, as if we could really do that. And all three of those are dangers. What I would suggest to you that we need to hear in this deep practice of community and life is what I just mentioned a moment ago, that we actually recognize that the gospel alters the way in which I see the other, that is you, and the way we see each other, that the persons that are sitting on the same row as you today and behind you, in front of you, are people who, uh, by virtue of their commitment to Jesus Christ and your commitment to Jesus Christ, are part of an alternative community. And we will work to seek to see the best interests of others in, in, in our life together. That our relationships with others, our priorities and values, our possessions, everything are on the table for the sake of the well-being of others. We relinquish and let go because God has been generous and so we are generous with others. This kind of practice shapes us and characterizes us. 
That's why we can speak of Johnson Street being a place of generosity, of grace and mercy and justice. Why? Because we're trying and embodying the story of Jesus as a community. So we listen for a word from God, and we listen to each other in our communion and fellowship with each other, and then it gets deeper with the third practice, the third basic move we see in this community, the breaking of bread, the breaking of bread. Now, uh, that phrase uh, can sort of mean different things in different places, and I want to make sure that we understand, I think, what he is saying, the writer is saying to us here. We break bread. We have just a few minutes ago. One of our elders came and led us in that time where we took bread and we took grape juice and we remembered the Lord's death until He came, until He comes again. And Trey reminds us uh, this morning of how significant it is for us to do that kind of work. But breaking a bread for these early Christians meant not just Sunday morning bread and grape juice. It also meant uh, Monday and Tuesday when they broke bread together, and Wednesday and Thursday, because in the breaking of bread, the early Christians believed that when we gather around and share a meal, whether it's a cracker or a feast, whether it's bread and juice or pizza or lasagna or even old Texas barbecue, that when we do that together in the name of Jesus, Jesus shows up. That it is our life together in the presence, not merely of one another, but in the presence of Jesus Christ, that our community, our life together is shaped. And when Jesus shows up, there is great joy. And we're able to see each other in spite of all of our differences and different convictions and understandings and who we're going to root for in today's football game, that there is something that holds us together that's bigger than anything else. You see, the people of God, the church, are held together by the living Lord among us. And it is in the breaking of bread that we discover that over and over again. Do you remember the story of the road to Emmaus on Resurrection Day, where two disciples leave Jerusalem and make their way out to a little village, and alongside them comes this person that they've never seen before, they think, And all along the way, they talk about the great events that have taken place with the death of Jesus. And there they get to the little village, and they sit and break bread together and have a meal. And Jesus, who is the stranger among them, as he breaks the bread, they suddenly recognize him for who he really is. And then he vanishes away. And they make the remarkable comment. They say, did not our hearts burn within us as he, broke the, as he spoke of the scriptures to us? Church, when we gather with one another, whether it's on Sunday morning when an elder comes and brings scripture and prayer together and we take grape juice and crackers together, or whether it's this afternoon or this evening in small group study or a Wednesday night, or whenever you're with brothers and sisters for a lunch break meal, it is a place where Jesus shows up. And that's what helps shape us as a people of God. So God speaks to us. We speak to each other. We see the presence of Jesus in the breaking of bread. And then fourthly, that fourth basic move that this is a people is when we speak to God prayer. When we pray, 
When we pray formally, like in the temple courts, or when we pray in our homes. When we pray together in solemn assemblies, or when we're together in the closet of our bedroom. Whether we're praying on Sunday mornings when someone comes and leads us in prayer, or whether we're gathered around on a Sunday night devo with brothers and sisters in a dorm somewhere. All of that prayer in the temple courts and in the homes, as the text says, wherever we're gathered, there's place and opportunity for us to turn and speak to God. It shapes us and forms us. These are the basic moves that the writer is speaking of in those days, and I'm suggesting those are the moves that we need to attend to. Now, there's a little more in this text that I want to point out. In fact, it may be the most important part of all. You see, these four things that are spoken about, apostles' teaching, about fellowship, about breaking of bread, prayers, are all bound up in one little opening phrase there. Do you remember it? And they continued steadfastly, or they devoted themselves to. It is this business of making a commitment. I want to talk about that a little bit, because commitment is sort of a tough word for us. It's one that we're a little uneasy with. Uh, There was a few years ago, you know the comic strip uh, Shoe? Comic strip uh, shoe uh, characters. Uh, there was a comic strip a few years ago in that that series, where there was a woman sitting at a bar, and this attractive woman. And there's several. There's people in the bar. Several people in the bar. And here comes this guy, kind of hitting on her, uh, flirting with her. And he says, "Now look," he says, "All you need to do is just say one word to me, just one word, and I'll just get out of your life." And she turns to him and says, really? He says, yeah, really. He says, well, how sweet of you to say that. In the next frame, this woman says the one word. She says, commitment. In the next frame, the bar is empty. (laughs) Gone. We don't like the word commitment. We don't like the word commitment because the word commitment means that we've got to make some choices in our life. But the fact of the matter is, we have already made choices. We make choices all the time. Uh, And and this idea of devoting ourselves is one that I really want to put on the table for just a moment as we wrap and tighten this all up together, because I, I want to remind you that you do make commitments. And you cannot not make commitments and priorities. And we'll either make a commitment to God or we're going to make a commitment to something. In fact, do you not remember the words of Jesus who would say, no one can serve how many masters, church? No one can serve two masters. You'll serve one and hate the other or you'll love the one and despise the other. But there's no getting around the fact that we either make a choice to honor God with our life and devote ourselves to Him or we're devoting ourselves to to ourself. Now, we may not say, oh, I'm the most important thing in my life, but we do make commitments to our jobs, to our careers, to our, our education, to our loves, to the people in our lives. We make commitments all the time to stuff. And when we're making commitments to stuff, church, I want to remind you, you're making commitments to yourself. And so I, again, hear this, these words, and these early Christians, they devoted themselves to these basic practices. They made a commitment. 
It sort of echoes that ancient story out of the ancient people of God. Do you remember old Joshua? At the end of his life, back in Joshua, I think it's chapter 24, he's there at the end of his life and he says to the old people of God, to the Israelites, he says, look, you need to make a choice. Choose today who you're going to serve. Now you can either serve the ancient gods of the people beyond the river, the old Egyptian gods, or you can serve the god of the Ammonites. You're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody. Or you can do as I'm doing Because for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's a choice we've got to make. And it's not one that we need to take lightly. And sometimes I think, well, this is what confuses us in the midst of living our lives faithfully, even in the midst of, uh, of, of the struggles that we have personally, the transitions that churches go through as we're going through here at Johnson Street, or as we remind ourselves of traumatic events like 9-11 that shake up our world, uh, what we often forget is how, how our baptism shapes and forms us and these basic practices line us up. So uh, I want to just point out the difference here of what we're talking about. There's an old story my dad used to tell, and it's corny, but I'm telling it today, honoring my dad who's been gone several years. Uh, it's a story about the, the chicken and the pig talking about providing breakfast for the farmer. The chicken says to the, the pig, says, you know, we ought to cough up and do something for the farmer's breakfast. And the pig says, well, that's easy for you to say. That's just a couple eggs for you. But bacon means something altogether different for me. Well, church, I make no apologies this morning saying we're the bacon on the plate. We're the people who are the people who commit ourselves who devote ourselves to certain practices because God has first committed himself to us. And so may we be a people who devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and community, to breaking the bread and recognizing Jesus in our presence, and to lives of prayer. And in so doing, I believe, we'll find the focus and the energy to live our lives powerfully and significantly so that it may be said as it was in the ancient days that this ancient people of God were admired and respected in Jerusalem, that all the people looked at that that early church and admired them so that today, by the virtue of our practices, of these basic practices, that the word of God might bear fruit and bear witness in the city of San Angelo and beyond because we live out those basic practices day by day. I'm going to word a prayer for us, and then I'll ask Jake to lead us in a song. We'll stand and sing. And and if you're at a place in your life where you'd like some prayer or encouragement, and you're living out those basic practices, there'll be elders and ministers up front and in the rear to receive you. But first, let's pray. Gracious God, today, we ask that you would remind us of your graciousness and love to us, and of the ancient practices of that first community of your people. And may we lean into, in deeper and fuller ways, paying attention to the words of Scripture, uh, to fellowship in our community and life together, of breaking bread and seeing Jesus in our presence, and of of prayer and life and communication with you. May we commit ourselves deeper and more fully this day and the days ahead for the sake of your work. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.